Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 242 of the Spoiler Alert Podcast brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we're going to be discussing the new comic book film, Glass, from M. Night Shyamalan. I always thought it was Shyamalan. I always said Shyamalan, but I... Shyamalan. I could be totally wrong. Anywho, it stars everyone's favorite, Sarah Paulson. Mike, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> doing great, Danny. How are you? I'm doing very well. I have to ask right at the top of this episode, this, of course, is a sequel. Had you seen the other two films? Had you seen yep. Unbreakable? Have you I saw, seen I saw Unbreakable. Split? Yeah, I saw Unbreakable. I did not see Split. Uh, oh, okay. Unbreakable it came out, you know, he was still riding the wave of his incredible sixth sense success sixth sense, yes uh you know a year or two prior to that um so that it was an exciting time for him when that came out and so i had to see it i didn't think you know nearly as highly of it as i i did of, of sixth sense which i enjoyed a little bit more uh, plus you know the comic book thing isn't isn't my thing but it's just interesting this the career trajectory this guy has had right like he's for sure he's 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 been up and down and all over the place known as uh director slash screenwriter he's been known for that uh that kind of twist ending and that you never saw coming big reveal in the third act but he interesting interesting filmography when you read through it like i loved signs um, I enjoyed. Did you? I, I did, and I enjoyed the Sixth Sense. And there's not a ton else <laughs> that I'd rave about. I think that you could almost sum up this guy's this guy's career at the Oscar ceremony for which he was nominated for the Sixth Sense because, like, he was riding he was riding the wave of cultural importance in Hollywood in a year that was really big for movies that year, and. As they were reading the nominees for either director or screenplay, I think he might have been nominated for both, they, they, they flashed the names up on the screen behind whomever the presenter was, and his name was spelled wrong. Ooh. And you, you could kind of see his visual disgust as it flashed up there. And I just think, like, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but, but how appropriate that, like, he was riding this great wave and got to Oscar night and his career kind of tanked from then on, right? <laughs> I mean, he had some some surprise hits years later, but it was sort of like he was a flash in the pan. He really was. And, and you hit it earlier. I mean, this guy became right away with his first film and then following up with this one, he became the, the twist ending guy. I mean, every film of his has some absurd twist near the end. And they just got worse and worse and weirder <laughs> and dumber until people were like, I can't even bo- be bothered to go see his next movie. I mean, what a strange thing to be known for. And I felt like, okay, he's going he's gonna to shake it. And then he did it again in Split. And then he tried to do it again here with Glass. Yeah. I mean, this guy just can't help himself. This guy has definitely seen the peaks and valleys. I mean, he came right out of the gates with The Sixth Sense. It was a huge global blockbuster. It reinvigorated Bruce Willis's career yet again. Right. I mean, sort of like every couple of years, that guy like just sheds his skin and gets a whole new career because of one role. And um, this was his follow-up. It did very well. It was certainly critically lauded. And it was a moderate box office success. Not nearly as as good as uh, The Sixth Sense from a box office standpoint. 
But you're right. Then he did signs, and then he followed that up with The Village, which was rough. The Lady in the Water, which was bad. Yeah. Uh, the Happening with Mark Wahlberg, which is catastrophically bad. Then he got delegated to, like, he did a, a movie called The Last Airbender, which is an adaptation of, like, a child's comic book or, like, a cartoon show. And that was very poorly received. And then he just sort of ducked out for a while. Like, he just couldn't get hired or fired. And it took a few years, and then he he got his way back by doing a low-budget horror film, which uh, was he made for Blumhouse, which, you know, is low-budget and, and did well, given its, uh, its budget, and then launched back into Split. And so that was sort of a surprise to the upside success, which paved the way here for Glass. So, I mean, this is a sequel to a film uh, that came out in the year 2000. Yeah. And I just think it's it's really surprising. I'm glad to hear that you'd you'd seen Unbreakable. I'll be very interested as we talk about this movie to hear what you think, given that you did not see Split. Because I feel like this movie, Glass, is very much a sequel to Split, more so than it is a sequel to Unbreakable. Before I let, might as well do a plot recap on this. And, sure, and sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep it tight, but I honestly don't know quite where to start with this one because I admit I, I forgot the movie Unbreakable. I saw it. I remember kind of liking it, but I never saw Split. However, this movie brings the leading characters from from those other movies all together. And those three leading characters are David Dunn, who's essentially a real-life superhero played by Bruce Willis, who attempts to thwart crime. Kevin Crum, who's a villain suffering from multiple personality disorder, played by James McAvoy. And Elijah Price, also known as Mr. Glass another villain and known enemy of David Dunn from the movie Unbreakable. All three of them end up in the same mental institution where they're being treated by Dr. Ellie Staple, whose protocol is to convince the three that they do not actually have superpowers and are merely normal humans. In the institution, they are visited by respective confidants, uh, Dunn by his adult son and co-conspirator, Crumb by a young woman he had previously kidnapped but subsequently released, is what I gathered from not seeing the prior movie. <laughs> right. And, and Price by his elderly mother. Uh, we learn the backstories that have created the men we see today, and we watch as Elijah hatches a plan to pit Dunn and Crumb against one another in an epic battle atop a Philadelphia skyscraper. The battle comes to pass instead in the parking lot of the mental institution when all three escape from their quarters. When all three are killed by the armed forces who arrive to quell the melee, Dr. Staple reveals herself to be a member of a secret society intent on preventing the existence of both superheroes and their villainous counterparts, I I think. However, in what has to be the weakest M. Night Shyamalan (laughs) twist ending... It is revealed that the mental institution parking lot brouhaha was caught on video surveillance and subsequently was released to the public, proving the existence of superhumans. I guess that was the twist. Like, gotcha, we, we, you tried to prevent the world from knowing about this, and now everybody knows about it because it's going to go viral. And that's glass. That's glass. What'd you think? I really disliked it. It it wasn't even so much that I disliked it. I I wouldn't say that I hated it. Like, it was just so dumb or so offensive to me in any kind of fashion. It was just so forgettable 
so bland, often just really, really dry. I could not get into it. You know, I I wanted to. So it was a bummer. How about you? Oh, I did hate it. And in fact, I would equate this almost as bad as The Phantom Menace as far as a sequel to a movie that I th- I thought Unbreakable was very good. I have watched it many times. I've enjoyed it over the years. I've I've sort of wistfully looked forward to a sequel. And if you were to to do a, a master's class in falling short of expectations, mm-hmm. you would just show this and the Phantom Menace back to back, and then everyone <laughs> would kill themselves. Oh, it is just a terrible, awful movie. It is just a waste and really unfortunate that M. Night Shyamalan finally got to revisit the story and this is what he turned out because it sucks. It sucks hard. So before we go any further, as somebody who did not see Split, I think that at the end of it, you see um, Elijah Price or Mr. Glass in the movie. No, that's not it. I There, there no, was a tie-in at the end that kind of brought this universe together or something, right? Yeah, at the very end, you know, some people are in a diner watching the news about the fact that the, the Horde escaped and they're sort of on the lookout for him. And okay. then the camera pans over and Bruce Willis is there eating breakfast. And you get the sense that he's in the universe. So this movie, though, I mean, it just has a monumental flaw in it right away. And that is that this whole Sarah Paulson character, her her goal is to convince the three of them that they are not in any way special or that they're not superhuman. And I just think this is the dumbest thing anyone's ever done. (laughs) And the fact that especially and, – and the way it's written is so poor in that by the end, there is a period of time where Bruce's Willis, Bruce Willis's character is like, well, maybe they're right. It's like, really? It's been 19 years since the movie Unbreakable. You have been a superhero for 19 years. Anytime you touch someone who's who's going to do right. something bad, you get this flash and you can right. see their future and you're superhuman. And in one session working with this woman, she tells you maybe you're just a dude. You're like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a dude. I mean, her like her, what? The, I mean, if this was set like two days after the end of Unbreakable. OK, I guess this plot would at least be you could at least stomach it. Yeah, but it was so dumb, and it's the whole movie. I yeah. mean, this this should have been like a ten minute sequence in a movie. Well, there there was so it, it it there this scene this discussion recurs several times. There's one scene where all three of those leading characters right. plus Sarah Paulson are in a room where she's trying to convince them all simultaneously that I think was ten minutes and felt like forty. I mean, it, yeah. it just went on and on and on. And I'll say out of the gate too, I am not a fan of Sarah Paulson. She sort no. of drives me nuts. So I mean, her in this role just made it even more inconceivable to me. For some reason, this this secret society that she belongs to that is sworn to prevent superheroes from knowing that they're superheroes has given her all of seventy two hours to pose as this psychologist <laughs> to convince them. I mean, that's the that's the time span she gets to do it. And and her the methods she's using to convince them are comical. Like she'll just show them a picture of an MRI and and expect them to sort of then figure out what that <laughs> right. means and say right. stupid stuff like, Well, think about how great a magician can can trick your brain. Like 
this is what you got? This is what right. you went into the room with? Like, right. This is, this is absurd. So let's digress for a moment. I, I feel like we're going to annoy some people or bother some people, but I, too, really struggle with Sarah Paulson. I looked through her entire IMDb page, and I couldn't see one performance Mm-mm. that I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember liking her in that. No. I always dislike seeing her i don't think she's very talented i she just rubs me the wrong way for some reason but she is really well respected and lauded and i feel like it's sort of illegal to not like her so (laughs) i'm a little worried that i just put like you know like a a a hit out on myself by admitting that she's some hate mail no to, to me she is just a cold fish didn't she win like a golden globe or an emmy or something last year for for something, she's Probably, always in those miniseries yeah. that get all the good critical acclaim, all the like HBO four parters or whatever they are. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan, and I and I and so as to divert the hate mail, I will say as well, I can't stand James McAvoy. Same nope. thing, run down his IMDb page, and there's movies he's in that I like, but then dislike the movie because he was in them. Uh, I think like Atonement was one. The Last King of Scotland was one. He just drives me nuts. But man, did they get the right guy to play that horrifying character? Because I just think his mug is is tough to glance at. Well, and let, maybe let's take a second here. You didn't see Split, but you definitely got the gist. And as I said at the top of the, the show, this is more a sequel to Split than it is a sequel to Unbreakable. You know, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson are in this, but they are definitely the the supporting characters. And Split was like moderately interesting and entertaining, especially if you went in with zero expectations because it was M. Night Shyamalan and you're like, this guy's been doing trash for years, so... How bad can it, how good can it be? And you're like, oh, actually, it wasn't that bad. Um, and they did a lot of the personality switching, but nothing like this. I mean, Glass is like watching TV with like a six year old, and they have the remote, and they just keep flipping the channel every five seconds for no reason, and they never stop. I mean, it was so obnoxious anytime he was on screen for more than two minutes he had three personalities in that two minutes are you referring to this movie or to this Split? movie okay, Split, okay. they, they kind of spaced it out where Got like it. okay there'd be a whole scene with him as the woman and then he'd leave or the next time the his captives saw him he was the little kid okay but this one he was just flipping and flipping and flipping and fl- it was like yeah they were trying to show off and isn't this cool from an acting and directing and writing challenge but it was just annoying i do remember seeing the preview for the movie split and thinking it looked mildly interesting but then instantly thinking okay it's james mcavoy so i can't see it and two <laughs> that that dude shtick must get really old so I right. avoided it, and I wrote down I was right. So it sounds like what you're saying is that it wasn't nearly as bad the first time It wasn't around. this it wasn't bad. As, as frantic and, okay. It's really bad. The other thing this movie really has going against it is 19 years ago when Unbreakable came out, it was right in that, that space between like the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher, Batman films, and then right before... Um, Brian Singer's X-Men. So it was comic book movies were sort of a joke. They were really for kids. They were sort of ghettoized. Um, no one took them seriously. And here was Unbreakable, which 
was secretly about comic books. It wasn't in the ads. You just went to it because it was the M. Night Shyamalan movie. And you're like, oh, I guess it's about comic books. And it took comics very seriously. And it was a serious, dark, sort of slow comic book movie without any fight sequences. Like just sort of a, a weird film. In the 19 years since, clearly our whole society has gone absolutely crazy for superheroes. And we get a new comic book movie like every six weeks. Right, right. And yet people in this movie, in Glass, act like they've never read a comic or seen a comic book movie. And characters are constantly explaining this is just like in a comic (laughs) when the villain unveils his grand plan. And I'm like – You've got to be kidding me. Like, I mean, it's it's like borderline breaking the fourth wall to give the exposition to the audience, right? Like it's over so, and over. Yeah. It, it's so ridiculous. I totally agree. And and they could have just said, I mean, they could have just acknowledged like, you know, Elijah has had this sort of fascination with comic books and now society has caught up and they're everywhere and it's all people talk about. And instead, the whole movie treats it as though it's still this very weird cult fringe thing yeah, that no right. one knows. I mean, like your grandparents see comic book movies now. Right. Like they can tell you what – like, oh, and Batman Begins, boy, Liam Neeson was great. You know, I mean, yeah. they, you have that dialogue with people and it's it's just so – it makes me think that M. Night Shyamalan was a comic fan until the year 2000 and then he gave them up. And he's sort of like arrested development and like he can't – he still thinks he's the one guy who's reading comics. And it's like, dude. Another thing that I, I really disliked about it is that I, I feel like this universe was cobbled together after the fact. I can't believe that M. Night Shyamalan back in 1999 had planned for this this movie Split to come out several years hence that would introduce this new character and then bring them together a couple years after that. There's no way, right? Like, these these three don't seem to fit together at all as a threesome. Well, they don't, but they also... Unbreakable was really a drama, I think, about, like, learning to understand yourself and accept yourself. And then they sort of used comic books as an analogy for that, right? Like, he's he's accepting that he is, in fact... A superhero. Split was just sort of a schlocky B, maybe B plus fun thriller. And then you're trying to marry the two. Yeah. And you're trying to like, again, be the comic book movie without comic books and without good fight sequences. Although this movie does try to pack a couple of fight sequences in, but they're terrible. Yeah. And then Shyamalan is not at all talented at filming them or staging them. There's no excitement. I was constantly checking my watch. Like, when is this going to get over with instead of this should be pretty cool. And, and part of it is also James McAvoy's bad guy. Like he's just, they call him the horde. And the Beast. I mean, these are like the worst names. This is like, again, asking someone who doesn't like comic books to name your comic book villain. Yeah. It's just, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it, it was it was really bad. Um, again, it no, nothing that I hated because it, for me to hate a movie, it's it's got to be something that like just is is offensive to me on some level with, with something it's trying to do or say. This wasn't that. It was just so... So utterly boring. It was really, yeah, really a drag to sit through. I, I gotta say. Ooh, we, what's up with that 
What's up with Samuel L. Jackson's hair? Like, b- before he gets cleaned up towards the end of the movie, he's got the worst hair in the history of any character. I mean, hair and makeup should get an Oscar for that one. That What's was... up with his teeth? Oh, they're bad. I couldn't tell if that was, like, a decoration that he'd applied at some point or if he just was really letting himself go in the mental institution. I agree. What's up with M. Night Shyamalan's cameo in this movie? First of all, it sucked hard. Who who remembers a guy who 19 years ago used to work at the stadium? And by the way, like M. Night also looks, he looks like he's been sleeping in his car. Like he's living in a van down by the river. He did not look well. If you're going to no, give yourself a cameo, like, like get a night's sleep beforehand. Eat a meal. Remember when Hitchcock would do the cameos, but he'd like be in the first minute of the movie so that people would stop watching for him. Yep. And it was always like like him waving at somebody in the background or catching a bus or like, yeah, yeah. Or like, like picking something off the ground. M. Night Shyamalan gives himself a good five-minute scene in all of the movies that he cameos in. It's it's almost borderline not a cameo at a certain point. Like He wants to give himself a laugh or two. He wants to give himself like a big plot point. He yeah. wants to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just embarrassing though. Um, it was really bad. What's up with... If the whole goal is to convince these people that you know to be superheroes that they're not superheroes... Or super villains, or whatever the the opposite of a superhero is in the comic book world. Why in the mental institution would you place them across the hall from each other so that if a door, if their doors are both ever open at a moment, they could see each other? Which only enrages both of them. You're already handicapping yourself on this exercise to try and convince them that they're just mere mortals by allowing them to get all revved up when they catch a glimpse of one another. That was, that was just the dumbest planning ever. Well, what's up with the, the movie opens with these cheerleaders have been abducted by the horde and no one knows where they are. Of course, Bruce Willis is on the case. He cracks the code and finds and saves them. But by the time he has escaped or he's he's fallen outside with the beast and they're fighting, cops have showed up and a psychologist who also set up these crazy hypnotist lights yeah. on the off chance that the bad guy would get pulled out and then just stand there and look at the lights so he could hit. Like, who called the cops and who called the psychologist? It was just, we just needed to get them into this, like, the, the mental hospital, and it was the easiest way from a play. Like, you're not allowed to ask how that happened because there's no answer. It's just right. terrible. <laughs> what? What is up with the stereotypical comic book store proprietors and customers? There's like a couple scenes where they pass through the comic book store. And as somebody who's never been in one, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I expect it would be like. And it was really pretty one-dimensional and embarrassing. No, and it was. And it was, in fact, it was infuriating in three ways at the end. So one, you get the stereotype of the two nerds talking about over the comic book. Two, you get Sarah Paulson, who's part of this evil cabal who's trying to keep the fact that comic books are true out of our public consciousness. And three, you get those same two dorks that they're they're mocking 
actually talking to each other like, yes, this is like when the evil villain does his plan, but don't forget, there's always a secret ulterior plan. <laughs> and then Sarah Paulson's like, oh my gosh, there must be a secret ulterior plan. And sure, there was. It was so embarrassing. Like, her whole job is to try and prevent comic books from like she should so have, know have you ever read one like have you ever picked right. one up and read one? And i promise you no guys in a comic shop that are that nerdy have ever had that conversation or one remotely like it where they're like telling each other how comic books are structured <laughs> no, oh my god it was these are the so guys that are totally bad. into the weeds on all yes. of them they'd, they'd like, be talking about issue number 32 yeah, yeah his right. boots were mustard they had a diamond on the side but then in the <laughs> In the new universe, they've changed it to a triangle and they're now green. (laughs) Yes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is up with Anya Taylor-Joy? She looks so strange. Her eyes are so so big and they're so wide apart. Like, she's – it looks messed up. Like, something is not okay. I remember a couple years ago when we reviewed The Witch – and your your comment on her was she was interesting looking, and I thought that that was a good way to describe her. Like, like I don't, I, I thought she was pretty, like, it, but interesting was a good way to describe her. As she has gotten older, she looks odd. She, she looks, looks weird. She, she looks weird. Her, her eyes. It's not Amanda Seyfried level eyes, but like they're they're far they're apart. they're farther apart. Yeah. Yeah. What is up with the whole central conceit of this movie and Sarah Paulson's plan? I mean, we all paid money basically to see a Superman movie where Superman gets sat in a chair for for an hour and a half and told he's not a superhero. And he kind of believes it until the end when he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm Superman. And then he dies. Yeah. What a freaking waste of time. You and, oh, you what's and I up are with lockstep on that one? What's yeah. up with uh, Bruce Willis's character owning a security company, and then when he gets thrown in the mental hospital, they give a hundred camera contract to his competitor? Talk about insult to injury! Insult to injury. Not only did that's they a, arrest him, that's a move mental, right there. They yeah. put him out of business. <laughs> you, he's just seething in his cell there while watching everybody install the other guy's cameras. What's up with the patient files being stored in the security office? So Elijah gets can just let himself out of his room at any time he wants. He goes to the security office to look at like all the, the cameras. And yet right there is a file cabinet where he just pops it open and there are the all their files. All the medical records, and he, yeah. And he just knows to pick up, you know, the one for Chrome and read right through it. Right, right. While we're at it, what is up with M. Night Shyamalan also trying to assign the blame for Kevin's father's death to Mr. Glass that he, he in fact created the beast. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I, I wanted to just get up and just walk out. Well, what's but up I was with too that, weary what's with, up with that scene where, where you're seeing that he was assigning that the fact that he had to telegraph that that was Kevin's dad, not only by the fact that he's waving as the train's pulling out, but that he has a briefcase embroidered with crumb on it. Like, yeah, I got this, guys. I, I'm I'm not four. Right. I was able to figure this much out. He's also nestled into his train ride with a one-page, eight-inch pamphlet on dissociative identity disorder. He, like, there's he's like going to read that the ones. whole way there. Yeah. Like, how, where is this train going? Like, down, like, like four blocks up? Right. Like, one what? stop. One stop. Right. <laughs> 
What is up, by the way, the conceit that the, you know, the news in this movie is constantly telling us about this new building. Philadelphians cannot get excited enough about there being a new building downtown. In fact, the newscasters are talking about the, the, the <laughs> hordes of thousands of people who are going to come to the building's, quote, opening day just to enjoy the architecture. <laughs> when is a building opened? Like, people watch these buildings go up. The outside gets finished first. So for months and months and months and months, people are driving past this thing. Then there's some sort of grand opening. And now everyone's going to like flood the streets and take a day off work and come look. There was like one of the CNN scenes that showed like, like DC, everybody up from DC to see this. Like all the politicians are coming to see like, why? What? It's like that building in that movie skyscraper, you know, where there's going to be the big, the big thing up at the top that everybody's going to line up to go see themselves in the mirrors. Well, in this one, there's a chemical company inside. Fantastic. The news told us like four (laughs) times. There's a chemical company (laughs) inside. Who cares? There's probably a 24-7 fitness. There's probably a Starbucks. There's like a FedEx office on the first floor. There's a gift shop. They're not just rattling off all the tenants, but they just a couple of times mention there's a chemical company. This is the craziest. Like, who gets this excited? These people are stupid. What is up with the girl from Split? You didn't see that movie, but she escaped at the end and was and was spared, but other girls she was with, I believe, were killed. And now suddenly in this movie, she like loves him and she's willing to like come defend him. And what is up with the beast's weakness being a hug? And just hearing uh, hearing his name hug. from a tender girl. She yeah. grabs him and a little skin to skin contact, gives him a hug, and suddenly it's all we're all done. Yeah. He's all done. A very odd concept. Oh, terrible. Terrible. Also, what is up with uh, M. Night Shyamalan thinking that when videos go viral, they go viral like all at the same time. Instantly. And that everyone's phone beeps and buzzes when you get a video. (laughs) Like you're just at the train station and everyone's phone starts beeping and buzzing. And it's also they just stop to watch this video and get amazed. How long ago did we push this out there? Oh, I don't know, 90 minutes or so. And they're, so they're looking all concerned that people aren't freaking out. And then suddenly everybody's phone beeps. It's, all at it's once. the breaking news on every news network. Like, wow, that's really odd. You know, I mean, I mean even now, some sort of tragedy besets the, the country. Right. Some sort of natural disaster somewhere. It sort of trickles in news outlet to news outlet all day long, right? Right. We, you, you you don't suddenly get an alert like a tornado siren in your neighborhood. Right. My phone doesn't buzz and yours doesn't vibrate. And you're like, right. you just like running to catch your train and you stop to watch the video. This was just, again, a guy who like doesn't understand phones. And the reactions on everybody's faces when they'd see the video, like sort of gasp and like look around at people there. Like, <laughs> right. So dumb. So right. weak. Yeah. Terrible. Just terrible. Uh. Mike, are you ready for five questions? Yeah, I think it's about time. we got to wrap this up. Let's do this. Five listener-submitted questions. Thank you, listeners. Question number one. Can you name three Bruce Willis movies that are not action movies? Um, uh, Whole Nine Yards. Oh, okay. Uh, that was not an action movie. Um, wasn't there a whole 10 yards, <laughs> some sort of sequel to <laughs> I think there was, yes. <laughs> I did not see that one. 
Um, and Die Hard Three. That there's very little action. You in that take one. that back. That's a great one. Uh, Jeremy right. Irons just chews the scenery. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so it's a struggle, I guess, is yeah. the whole point. So yeah. okay, fair enough. Um, in the year 2000, when Unbreakable came out, the idea of a of a serious comic book movie was quite novel. What genre of movie today needs or deserves a similar serious makeover? Oh. Well, are we considering this a makeover of what he did 20 years ago, or are we saying that he kind of revitalized comic book movies with this He sort was of the first to sort of take a, a genre that was really thought played. of poorly and, yeah. and, and played it more seriously and gave it a bit of prestige and then, of Got course, it. I'm not giving him credit for, for where we've sure, come, but sure, he, sure. he did that. So is there anything like that that you'd see today? I'd say let's, take a- let's retool romantic comedies. Like, okay. we've, we've, we've watched some really good romantic comedies, like, in of the bygone era in some of our reviews. Like, I think of Capra's um, It Happened One Night that I really enjoyed and felt like, God, you, you could actually make a romantic comedy back then and, and fill it with good actors that were speaking funny dialogue i don't think you get a lot of that today not too many that's for sure uh question number three will the home release of the movie glass include the 25 minute deleted scene where the beast struggles to gently help dress mr glass in his purple leisure suit (laughs) do do you think that'll happen Maybe. I mean, I felt like every scene in this movie felt 25 minutes long. Um, that, but that that's would, a great plot point for the that, sister to point out that, you know, like, Samuel like they're, Jackson's they're besties. character yeah. is so frail and he needs help to get in this skin-tight leather suit and the beast's got to try and help him oh, and kind of like great. gently set him back down. Okay. That's Question number fantastic. four. Do you think M. Night Shyamalan's Sixth Sense Oscar nominations were a fluke? Did he? Did he really deserve the the credit, the uh, the awards and accolades that he got back then? You know, I I think that for me, The Sixth Sense was still an enjoyable film to rewatch and revisit. I think you and I have discussed this in the past that you know once it was over, you were kind of done with it. Like it seemed like a a moment in time, something kitschy and different. And certainly his his he hasn't panned out the rest of his career very successfully either so yeah i would say that was kind of a a one-off uh i guess you'd call it a fluke unfortunately okay yeah last question mike have you ever experienced a more drawn out and unsatisfying climax than this movie be specific (laughs) please it was i mean I feel like that final, that final battle scene in the parking lot or the lawn of the mental institution started with a good 30 minutes of film left, took about 20, and then it was like the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings with like, here's another ending. Nope, not quite over yet. Not quite over yet. Not quite over yet. It was very, very unsatisfying. Okay. Well, that was five questions. Thank you, listeners. And well played, Mike. All right, so right at the top of the show, we announced that we both dislike this movie immensely, so let's not bother with closing uh, arguments or final thoughts. Coming up next, we've got the film Roma, which is streaming on Netflix and has already won and is nominated for a number of awards. 
Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert Podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.